episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sony. <laughs> How long did it think th- take you to think up that one? A couple seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I would have placed my bet on like five days, but I guess you, <laughs> you just stopped watching like right before we got on again. Yeah, so yeah. Another day where you... I, I still don't understand how you do that. Like I'm Sam, by the way, guys. <laughs> <laughs> still, like for this movie, which uh, at least the the original one we're talking about, Halloween, um, the 1978 version and the 2018 um, quote unquote sequel, I guess is what you'd call it. Um, but even for the 78 one, like I had to watch it a couple days ago just to be able to properly gather my thoughts in it. I don't know how you. I'm guessing you watched them back to back too. Yes, I did. Yeah, today. I, I know you too well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is this is an interesting conversation because you and I have disagreed, I guess. Let, let's start with the original. I'm in the minority. Just to say yeah, you, let's you, just say that. You I'll, definitely I'll, are. I'll, right? <laughs> this is like the odd occasion where you're in the minority and I'm, I guess, in the majority. Um, yeah. Where, yeah, with the 1978 Halloween, uh, obviously written, directed by John Carpenter, scored by John Carpenter as well, co-written by Deborah Hill. Um this movie is like amongst the most acclaimed horror movies of all time. And obviously this is sort of capping off our October series um, with Halloween on Halloween. This episode should come out like the day before Halloween. So, you know, and it's also appropriate to say that we have the teaser today for the next Halloween. Yeah. Which was kind of a surprise. Actually. I didn't realize that that was happening. We can, we can close out this conversation actually a little bit with that discussion. Cause I I do want to dig into that 30 second clip. It's all meant to be Raj. Yeah, it really is. It really is. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, I want to ask you first since you, the one who actually i guess I'll, I'll start since i do fall in the majority here um yeah i mean halloween is not just like one of the best horror movies of all time in my opinion but it's also just one of my favorite movies of all time and you know i kind of understand the thinking of coming into this movie like you know it is very different from your sort of traditional horror movies even from a modern perspective like you know in terms of pacing and whatnot it is very slow it's obviously very low budget um, but when you kind of whittle it down to the core, and that's kind of what this movie is, obviously made on like a minimal, minimal budget. For people that don't know, like the backstory of the production of this thing, it was made for like three hundred thousand dollars, mostly non-actors, um, a lot of sort of like young, sort of up-and-comers as part of the cast. Really, only one big name, and Donald Pleasance, um, who plays Doctor Loomis, is is in this cast. Um, it, it's a real sort of bare bones thing. Uh, John Carpenter took home like I want to say it was like ten thousand dollars, is what my research told me um from this movie and that was writing directing and scoring the thing he only took home that much and then he took home a little bit of the box office receipts as well um but it has sort of gained that of claim of being one of the most uh influential and amongst the most favorite horror movies of all time especially in the slasher genre and that's kind of what it is for me i'll get into the specifics a little bit later but i guess just on sort of a surface level i think it just gets down to the essentials of what a slasher should be you know it has the the stalker element to it it's very bare bones and that sort of lends to this movie's favor i think it works on a very stripped down level and it adds to the realistic aspect of it mm-hmm. and i just love the way that john carpenter directs the tension the way that michael myers ser- serves as a presence and not really a human in the movie i think it just adds all and obviously the score the score is one of the most iconic things in my opinion um it all adds to, to a brilliant experience for me me, but uh i guess sam what, what you got for <laughs> um i yeah I, I can't say i like this movie too much just because of that fact that i don't know what it is actually because like i even looked it up online it's like it has an 87 on metacritic and i like my group chat with my uh with a bunch of film buddies of mine i asked them they're like yeah we all like halloween so like i don't know what it is with me i guess <laughs> but like when i watched i watched this movie last year for the first time 
and I watched it again this year, and I my opinion hasn't changed at all. I'm sorry to say, but I just think it's like the fact that I the score doesn't really hit for me at all, honestly, because like the weird like keyboard synth like during uh, moments I, of I don't like, understand that like like jump scares. I just it doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't like it just sounds. I don't know. I don't. Know, I don't want to say amateur. It just sounds like it doesn't fit. Like the contrast is weird to me. Okay. Um. I guess the fact that it is on a shoestring budget kind of bothered me because they couldn't really. I don't know. Just put the most production they could into this, and like the the acting in this movie is like really shoddy. Like outside of like um, Doctor Loomis and Laurie Strode, um, I feel like most of the characters are like cardboard cutouts of archetypes. Like they don't feel like they're actual people. They just feel like. I don't know, like just something for the story, like plot devices or whatever. And they just sound just like they're forcing their lines out, especially Lori's friends. They just they didn't come off as real humans to me. They just came out, out as like a, I don't know, like like a, an, an adult's idea of what a teenager should be okay. or what a teenager is. Okay. And um, but there are no, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna trash this movie this entire time. Like there are moments <laughs> where like they kind of you know like. The one scare that got me the most was like it was like a small minor scene. It was like when Laurie is dropping off the key over at the Michael Myers house, and all of a sudden you see Michael's like silhouette through the window, and then you hear the the the, the score you're like three, whatever it is. That scared me. That got me good. Um, some of the some of the kills too are pretty good. Like the tombstone scene with one of her friends on the bed was like pretty pretty inventive. Um, getting pinned onto a wall with a knife by one of the other guy friends was really cool too but um i don't i don't i really I, honestly i was kind of bored watching it the second time i was pretty impatient it's not even that long of a movie it's like an hour and a half long mm-hmm. um you know dr loomis's presence you know, brings a lot to the movie in regards to like just having that presence of having somebody that knows what's going on and how serious this individual is but there's always this thing within the movie within dr loomis himself saying that he's evil he's he's the like the most evil thing that's ever walked this earth but like if you put it into context you just like look at it on paper it's like this guy troubled individual who kills his sister when he's like six years old then he kills like a couple teenagers and a guy he's like a kill count of five people they're not even gruesome. That's like the knife kills outside of the guy who gets pinned onto the wall with a knife. He's very strong. I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't tell you what it is exactly. So, so I'll agree with you first on, on, I guess one, one single point that you made throughout <laughs> that entire thing. Yes. Which yes. is um, <laughs> the, the part that you said about the friends. And I agree, like the acting there is not good. It, it's straight up not good. And that is a product of the fact that this movie is made on no budget. And, and Donald Pleasance was like the only actor that was paid anything at all. Like I, I read somewhere that even um, Jamie Lee Curtis, who made her debut on screen with this movie and has become sort of a screen, uh, screen icon, not just a scream icon. Um, she was paid under ten thousand dollars as well. So she, I think, she was paid less than John Carpenter was for the th- for the things that he did and whatnot. So like, you know, those people that were there were probably being paid like maybe a couple hundred dollars. Those sort of side characters, right? Um, because of how minimal the budget was for this thing, and so like, you know, you have to assume that with that comes the sort of um, amateur, the, yeah, the <laughs> the amateur downturn of having yeah. not great actors. And I, I agree with you that the acting from the Friends is not. You great. don't you didn't agree with the kills. Uh, I, I praise the kills. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I do like the kills, but I'll, I'll get it. I'll get into that in a sec. Um, where I want to sort of dispute the point that you made about the friends mm-hmm. is actually Deborah Hill, who's the co-writer on this, who was John Carpenter's girlfriend at the time of the movie, mm-hmm. um, the filming and the writing and whatnot. Right. She was actually a babysitter, um, and she was not much older than a teenager when this movie came out. Mm. Um, and she sort of based this off the dialogues that she had with her own friends and in her own experiences. So this was kind of based off 
her own ver because that i mean that well, could it be something of just her maybe this being her first script or one of her first scripts then it, it very much could be um but i also think that you know this is from a very different time it's from the mid-70s and so it's sort of speaking to the way that people talked back then and i think true, you true. know if you look at other movies that came out in the 70s and whatnot the dialogue's not that far off and it's just the delivery that really makes it feel a little bit more ham-fisted than it actually is well can i just dispute that real quick because the fact that this movie is only five years younger than the exorcist the exorcist is like fucking incredible mm-hmm. like the fact that a movie like the exorcist just came out as good as it was and as timeless as it is mm-hmm. you can you contrast that with the movie that came out five years later that really isn't as good to me personally sure. that's where the contrast is for me because you can't really say oh it's the 70s the dialogue is different in the 70s but like if you compare it to a another movie another classic from the same genre you see mm-hmm. that disparity well like so in the exorcist case obviously it's going for something very different um the slasher genre as a whole is sort of has this camp element to it so right. you have to understand that it's playing into that like it's obviously inspired true by, true yeah that's, a good, the, like that's a good point that's a good point texas chainsaw and, and even some of the other um earlier 70s sort of slasher movies that came before this one mm-hmm. um it's very much you know playing into that sort of genre like it feels like a movie you would watch with like a couple of your teenage friends that you sure. were in the 70s with exactly and that's kind of what it's playing into the sort of um you know the, the whole thing about like you know there's all these teenagers that's a demographic they're yeah. yeah they're 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 drinking they're having sex they're doing all this stuff they're not supposed to be doing and that's Mm -hmm. sort of a core um i don't want to say theme because i don't really think it's a theme of the movie but it's a core sort of aspect of the way like the narrative the narrative is structured around that sort of i'll say this so i i can't dispute the fact that this movie is influential because of the fact that we do get like the final girl trope Mm -hmm. we do get the teens who die because they have sex or they drink on screen Mm -hmm. or like we get like the like the stupid moments where like people look look like going and to investigate whatever it is that's going on or something Mm -hmm. like those tropes I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not really, I don't know if you can speak to this. I don't know if they were prevalent during the seventies or even before that, mm-hmm. but I know that I, I've been experiencing those tropes over and over and over again with like movies from like the nineties or the two thousands when, you know, I was first getting introduced to horror movies. They definitely existed in early seventies slashers, but you know, if you look about, if you look at your core slashers, you know, your Halloween, Friday the 13th, <clears throat> Emma on Elm Street, and Scream. I think the, that's like the four sort of core slashers that most people are aware of. Mm-hmm. Halloween was the first of that group. 78, then 80 was Friday the 13th, and then 84 was uh, Elm Street, and then 96 was Scream. So like, And they all this, have a teenage element to it. Exactly. So this sort of set the tone for that framework. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get a little bit into like the kills and stuff that you're talking about. Sure. And, and I kind of want to get into John Carpenter's direction because it feels like, you know, when you say that this movie is boring, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're just not buying into the way that John Carpenter directed this movie. Yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. I was just like, I was pretty impatient during like the, even like the climax sequences or like mm-hmm. some of the kill sequences. It was like, I feel like, I don't know, just there wasn't enough there for me to grab onto for me to like pay attention as much as I could to the screen. So I think it's actually like, you know, for, for me personally, I think it's a pretty expert sort of uh, masterclass in terms of building tension through your direction. And it sort of starts with that opening moment. And, and I think a lot of people don't even realize the fact that that opening moment, it, it's so effective at building tension because you're kind of on edge and you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. But it's also this one tracking shot, right? Like the movie opens with a tracking shot, a single take where the person is walking through the house, surrounding the house. You kind of see these people inside the house, puts on the mask, and, and then, you know, you get this whole brutal murder sequence of the sister. You exit the house, and the first cut that happens in the movie is the reveal that this is 
this tiny child who did this mm-hmm. entire like gruesome brutal thing mm-hmm. and i think that sort of sets a framework of like okay you're in for something different because i think even up to this point we've definitely seen children doing crazy things like in the omen and whatnot but not quite to this grounded extent where it's a kid who just walked around his house picked up a knife and murdered his sister so like i think from that it sort of sets a framework of like this is the kind of story that you're in for right. um, but i think it delivers on that throughout because there's a lot of like the scene that you talked about where where john carpenter sort of lingers on a shot for just long enough for something to appear in screen or for something to um you know some sound to happen or something to to really throw you off your rocker like that that scene when michael myers shows up in the house you see just his shoulder um there's a sequence mm-hmm. where at the house and laurie's walking down the street and then you also just see the side of his body um there's that scene i mean there's multiple scenes where laurie's looking out windows and you just see michael myers just standing there staring mm-hmm. and, and i think it's just really effective at this sort of traditional idea of like what a stalker is and what they're capable of doing and it just sort of is um it's shrouded in mystery and it's the sort of idea that like and this is you know i'm getting my help getting ahead of myself a little bit here but like the whole the whole idea of like michael myers and like you know they call him michael in the movie obviously but if you dig into the script the screenplay of halloween every time that michael myers is not referenced by name he's entitled the shape Mm-hmm. Um, and what it's supposed to sort of reference is the fact that this this character, this being, whatever it is, and you know, Loomis speaks to this throughout the entire movie. It's not human; it's just pure evil. Um, what it, it's sort of it's sort of leaning into this idea that there's this like overarching prevalent evil that could be anywhere, could be anybody, could be lurking around any corner, and that sort of capitalized at the end of the movie when. Myers disappears um, after he's knocked out the window. You look down, he's there. You look back, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just sort of his breathing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like the breathing, it, there's shots from all different parts of Haddonsfield and different places that you've visited throughout the movie. And it's sort of um, trying to punch home this idea that like Michael Myers is there. He's He is evil. He is everywhere. He will come and get you. Well, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I, there's definitely potential in, in regards to what John Carpenter was trying to do with this movie, and I think that's why people, you know, attach themselves so much to this movie. I feel like people like you and people who like consider this movie like one of the greatest movies of all time or one of the their favorites movies of all time is because they're like I guess I want I want to say I don't want to just become off as a weird or anything but like aspiring <laughs> aspiring filmmakers like you get like a shoestring budget yeah you have this idea mm-hmm. you do it yourself and then it becomes like this movie that people talk about for decades mm-hmm. so that's something that people want to be aspiring to this is why this movie is a like kind of inspirational in that sense sure but the scene you're talking about in the beginning where like the guy I think it's an over, honestly I'm, I'm sorry I think it's an overrated sequence oh because my God. It's, just, it's just a guy with a handheld camera walking around the house and then he like they put on they put like this like, like this weird filter over the camera to get like the sense of he's wearing a mask now mm-hmm. because of the POV sense of it and you see the kill but then we get like the reveal that it's like a child it is it is shocking but the child himself looks like looks like he did like a it's like what have I just done? Mm-hmm. Like his face looks like he did. He, he scared of himself essentially, and you did. You did talk about the fact that you know he, Michael Myers is like a shape. He's a presence. He's an evil force. But did did you get that sense from the movie? Because he doesn't really have that. He is formidable, but he doesn't have that gruesome nature to him that I would want from somebody like this. So I think that you know the gruesome nature of it that does definitely come more into um, into the fold in the later movies because the budget is upped, and so right. they have the ability to do a little bit more sort of like gruesome stunts and bloody stuff and all that kind of stuff. But like mm-hmm. in the sense of like him being an all sort of overarching presence, like I said, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it sort of grows throughout the movie because, like you said, when we meet him at the beginning, he is a child, and, and I think it's intentional that he's shocked by what he's done. Mm-hmm. But the sort of living with that and then living with the, not even guilt of it, but living with the sort of um, 
God, what is the right word to use here? It's living, like a cocoon. Yeah, you're living with it, you're bred with it, and then you're sort of like you're sort of treated as this test subject, right? And right. that sort of breeds this in in that sort of environment. It sort of breeds this crazy killer, and, and like the way the the serve like what what Loomis serves as is this sort of um, connecting the dots between when we last when we last met Michael when he was ten years old and killed his sister to fifteen years later when we meet him and he's broken out of this prison, like. Loomis is supposed to be the sort of connecting dot that's like, this is what we've experienced, the growth of that young killer to become now. Okay, and there, I want to nitpick a little bit. I don't know if this is something that <laughs> you're going to be mad at, but okay. there are three things I want to say in the beginning of the movie that's kind of nitpicky, I guess. Okay. One is the fact that he escapes the prison, drives a car 150 miles. Mm-hmm. He's been in prison since he was six years old. He's been in prison for 15 years. And then, like, there's a throwaway line that says maybe somebody's taught him lessons. Like, that's that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Why would you take a mental patient who's somebody who's like a serial killer, essentially, mm-hmm. who has that you know that mental illness or whatever it is that he has, and teach him how to drive? I think that's supposed to be a joke. Um, but and, like, you see how that's a I don't know. It's a bit of a plot hole. I don't think it's really a plot hole because like it's not like we see him driving. We're not. It's not like that we know that he makes it like successfully. Like we don't know that he doesn't like you know go, mm. drive over a few curbs or whatnot. Like we don't. See no, I'm that. saying I'm not saying he did it flawlessly, but like we do see him get in the car. We do see him drive away, mm. and then it is implied he makes it to a certain extent that's that one phone booth that Loomis goes to mm-hmm. and he sees like that car on the side of the road that truck mm-hmm. which is another thing because I thought it was a really convenient that that, that happened okay. and then he like finds that guy he kills him steals his clothes and then drives away like he reverses out and he goes goes to Haddonfield like he knows exactly where he lives where he lived well he was six years old mm-hmm. 15 years ago mm-hmm. I don't know that's weird to me I like well obviously the street sign is supposed to be there to point that you know he's going in the right direction um in terms of like the driving part of it like I'm I'm not really bothered by it because I I, you know again like it's not the fact you know we don't need to see him draw and I'm not saying that this is what you're saying but we don't need to see him drive flawlessly to know that he kind of has an idea of what he's doing it's like it's not like when he's put in jail he's like a three-year-old child who has no idea what's going on like he's Mm -hmm. obviously very aware of his surroundings and he's probably sat in the car with his parents and kind of observed that sort of thing and has knows that it's a bit of a reach i don't think it's a bit of a reach i mean like come on from all of our experiences like when we were like five to ten years old like i think most of us you know pretended like we were driving in the backseat and whatnot so like again not that we could do it flawlessly but we kind of had an idea of what was going on right but then he's been tested for like these 15 years why wouldn't you know he he repressed emotions or repressed memories of that like you know of driving yeah like like happy memories with his family i don't think i mean i don't i think he's just sort of a maniacal killer i don't think he has any happy memories um but like the driving part of it again <laughs> it is a bit of a nitpick but like the driving part of it is sort of um just something that he needs to do to be able to get to his goal which is to go home okay and one smaller nitpick is the fact that he already has the suit he already has his mask but like there is a scene like after they get out of school like a a certain amount of time has passed since he's gone to Haddonfield and it's revealed that after the people get out of school that they realize that there's an alarm going off at this one store Mm -hmm. where like rope was stolen which we never see in the movie Mm -hmm. and some knives were stolen and a Halloween mask but like why would why didn't why wasn't that established early on in the morning when he actually did it Uh, I don't know What, what do you mean like he gets a hat and field early on. I would, I would, I would assume because he already has the mask. Okay. But like they would have the alarm going off for that store for the entire time those kids were in school, and then it's like convenient that once think, they get out of school and drive there that they see this happening. 
Just for the purpose uh, of the, for the story. I don't think he gets the mask from there, though. I think he goes and gets. No, the no, they said they said Halloween mask. Said, Are you sure? Yeah, knife, rope, Halloween mask. That's mm. what he said. Okay, that's maybe what, I'm what, blanking on that. That's what the cop said, at least. That's that's a fair knock then. If if I if I'm misremembering and, and what you're saying is correct, and I think that's a pretty fair knock on the movie. That's okay. A little bit of a I mean, <laughs> No, I, I think I think that's completely fair. Um, I, I want to ask you a little bit, and I do want to move on to the next movie so we can kind of get a little bit into that. But a quick sort of closing thoughts on this, like, does the sort of like traditional boogeyman storyline of this um, not work for you? Because like, I think that's another sort of effective part of this movie is the fact that they keep referring to him as the boogeyman, as the boogeyman. And like, I, I think it sort of plays into the, you know, the whole like this guy stalking a babysitter. Like, is this anything, it's something that we all grew up with, you know, this movie, the entire movie takes place in a suburban household like it just feels very close to home and i'm wondering if like that aspect of it works for you any better than like the sort of rest of it like um it's not something i really thought about like you know traditionally i would think of the boogeyman something more supernatural okay other than that but i don't think it was something that was huge enough for me to like, say i don't know if i like this movie because of this reason okay fair enough yeah. um any any closing thoughts or do you want to get into the 2018 one yeah i apologize please don't attack me on twitter <laughs> i will attack you i'll be the only <laughs> one attacking you on twitter for this uh, but yeah let's let's get into 2018 um returning so this sort of like it was interesting because we had so many movies connecting the dots between this movie and you know we had halloween 2 season of the witch we had h2o we had so many movies in that sort of 20 plus year span um then Halloween disappears, then it comes back with the Rob Zombie remakes. Um, those are critically panned, then it disappears again. And then we find out that um, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, who are obviously like comedy writers, right? They've done like Eastbound and Down, they've done uh, Pineapple Express. Um, the filmmakers of that have come to the Halloween world and they're, they've written this script. And John Carpenter has given the approval, Blumhouse is on board, and we get this 2018 incarnation of Halloween, which is basically saying we're retconning everything after the original Halloween. So Halloween 2 through whatever is gone. It's disappeared from the canon. So the only canon is Halloween 1978 and Halloween 2018. We revisit uh, Laurie Strode 40 years later. So it's kind of going in real time in terms of timeline, almost 40 years after the, or actually 40 years after the first one came out. Um, we're revisiting this universe. Um, you know, Lori's got kids. We're sort of revisiting Lori with the PTSD that she's experienced after this entire dramatic experience, um, really setting a new sort of template for where this franchise can go. We're obviously getting a couple follow-ups to talk about in a minute. Did this one work any better for you than the original? Yeah, absolutely. This, this, I really enjoyed this movie. Okay. It's more modern day. You know, I'm assuming that that's a big part of it. Um, the production is with the, big, the biggest part of it for me. Okay, was. so I'll, I'll let you start us off here then with this twenty. Sure. So essentially, this movie really did the most as out of what I wanted out of a Halloween movie. Essentially, and, and what people probably saw from the first Halloween movie is the fact that they made they made Michael Myers as formidable and as a presence as much as they could in this movie because of the fact that you know we never see his face. We see that he's an aging guy. He's like somewhere that's like like this isolated area in a, in a clinic somewhere where like a bunch of other you know mentally deficient individuals are located as well and you know we get introduced to, like these true, true crime podcasters and they're, they're researching this and like i think it's just funny how the way they frame it for how the, re the research is but whatever yeah um there's this great like even at the offset of the movie we get like this very tense these tense moments where like it's like you know it's quiet you're trying to like figure out what, what kind of direction this movie's going to go into and you know we get introduced to these, to these two podcasters they go into the the clinic what are we, an, an asylum i guess to the asylum to get introduced yeah. to the new doctor who's the new loomis who gets called the new loomis in the movie yeah and you know he's like he's like he, they're trying to record him he's like he's like michael can you say something for me please and then out of, out of nowhere you know he's like I, I brought something for you from the da's office i don't know if you want to 
you know, give it a look or something. And he's like, take something out of his, his little suitcase. And it's the Michael Myers mask. And like, even before that, he was like very, a very still guy. He like, he was just standing there, just nothing. But then once this mask is pulled out, we get like these insane reactions from the people that are around Michael and that run like courtyard. They're all sort of going crazy. They're all sort of jittering and start yelling. The dogs start barking. And then like, it just, they, the way that they built that and made it like an establishable presence is how I knew this movie was going to be a good movie. And then from there, we get like these insane kills. Like he kills a little boy. He kills the boy's father. He breaks this guy's jaws and this breaks this, breaks this guy's jaw in half, takes his teeth out, holds the teeth for intimidation purposes for the next his next victim drops him at their feet and then he just bludgeons the, this other guy in the garage to steal, steal his clothes kills two people at, at a gas station steals a car and then we just get like these insane moments where he, like the, like these great sequences like these one takes like there's a lot of, there's a lot of great callbacks from the first movie that yeah. like Worked very well for me this, this second go around, and like the, where he's like you know maneuvering himself through the through the through their houses, he finds a knife, he kills one of the people in the houses. Dude, the scene where he's like approaching the baby, I was like, mm-hmm. please, please, mm-hmm. please, please, no. Yeah. And that that was a great scene. Like they just built that tension because we feel like at that point we know what kind of individual Michael is, and we know how gruesome he can be and how mm-hmm. intimidating he can be. So it's not outside of the scope of possibility that he would kill a child just because he's Michael Myers. Yeah. So, but he doesn't. Thankfully, <laughs> he, he he leaves that house the one take still follows him he goes to another house and we see like these gruesome kills like he impales one of the teenagers he shoves a knife into one somebody else's throat he gets shot he gets run over his fingers get blown off and he's still standing he's still putting up a fight and that's what's the best part about this movie yeah i i have to agree with you and uh i wasn't always on this page after i first saw the movie and I remember like, you know, reading that a lot of traditional Halloween fans were like so, so satisfied with this thing. And I, I loved up to a certain point. And then um, <laughs> there's that sort of pivot when the doctor, um, you know, does the, you know, they run over Michael Myers in the car and the doctor mm. puts on the mask and goes crazy. And there's that whole sort of sequence. Um, I sort of jumped off board a little bit at that point in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit and, and sort of revisiting it. Um, and on this recent rewatch, for some reason, something clicked in place for me. And there's a little bit about that doctor stuff that doesn't quite work still for me. Mm-hmm. But the everything surrounding that is just so, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, you said it pays homage to the original. And I think that's what's so key is that these filmmakers, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, they like they have such a clear understanding of what was so brilliant about the original from a lot of the fans perspective um but then you know for from what you're talking about why it appeals to you a little bit more the sort of modern day production value of it upping it to a sort of degree where it it feels like a big budget production mm-hmm. that really does play in this movie's favor so when you give filmmakers who understand the core essence of what the movie is and give them the budget to be able to make something better it just works in spades and, and like it, it's it's just all throughout like you know i, I love the fact that you I mean, yeah, these kill sequences are brutal, brutal, brutal. And like, you know, that, that bathroom sequence with the two podcasters, like it's so intense, but it's one of the best, if not the best scene in the movie, just because you kind of see the full force of what Michael is capable of. And it's not like, you know, he doesn't have his knife. He doesn't have any sort of weapons. It's just the intimidation. Like you said, like he just, he basically just pulled this person's teeth out with his hand, drops it over the bathroom stall, and then just basically slams these people into a wall and chokes them and kills them and it's like the full extent of what michael myers can be and why he's so intimidating the mm. music in that scene, i mean the music in this oh, yes. John, like yes. this john carpenter did the score for the original him, him and his son 
did the score for this one. And this, you know, this is obviously sort of derived from the original score, but again, brought up to a modern sort of sensibility and like some of the score, I mean, that's that bathroom sequence score. And then um, the scene, the shape hunts Allison, which I've talked about like endlessly. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. it's like when, the, like the alarm bells going off, like the bombs. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, and the, like the, the execution of that scene too, like the sort of light, you know, flashing on and off the motion sensor. Yeah, yeah. And then the light comes on and then, you know, she's staring at her friend's body dismembered on, on the, on the sort of fence. And then Michael Myers just steps out from like the wall and like the pure terror, like Andy Matichek, who is also a newcomer sort of um, paying homage to the way that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was a newcomer for the original Halloween, like her performance, like the pure terror that she, mm-hmm. in that scene, the acting is just so, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean like, you know, f- from like, from that sequence, I-, I love that opening sequence. Like you said, it just gives a really sort of like eerie sense to what this movie is going to be. And it gives you that sort of idea that like Michael Myers is more than just a killer, just a person. He is the sort of supernatural being of evil, this incarnation of evil, basically. Um, It's just so, so good. And it plays out throughout all the way up until that final sequence, the sort of tense, dark house like back and forth game of yes. like chicken yep. like between uh lori and michael um i, I love the ptsd element like seeing yes. where yep. lori strode is 40 <clears throat> years later how she sort of grappled with it you know the alcoholism and whatnot but also how well she prepared she is to trap michael myers in her home it's so so good and this this watch in particular really solidified this movie is actually like a real favorite of mine honestly Yes, like that's like one of the big things that I really like about this movie is the fact that how they built up, you know, Laurie Strode's like mythos essentially is the fact that, you know, she went through this as a very young kid, you know, she saw her friends get killed. She saw this like this fucking maniac just trying to kill her, like, you know, trying to break into like that little closet she was into and just trying to like just slash her up as best as best he could. And, you know, the fact that her thought process was the fact that he was still out there or like the fact that he's still alive is something that's probably not at her th- throughout the entirety of her life and it's kind of manifested himself in, in her relationships and how she's taking care of herself and now she's like this like um like this doomsday prepper essentially like living in the <laughs> sticks out of nowhere with all these guns like these mannequins scattered everywhere mm-hmm. she has all these lights she has barbed wire she has like a like a security system essentially she's like a, a, a fortress and that's i think that i think they did a great job in establishing why or how something like that could happen and why it happened and the execution of it was, was very well done um mm-hmm. yeah i wanted to ask you the first time you didn't you didn't like this movie was because of the doctor i wanted to ask you if, yeah um did you want a carbon copy of loomis or did you want like no doctor at all how would you have wanted that scene to play out at so, first so here's like actually why i'm sort of pivoted um on as i've like rewatched the movie a little bit more is like in the first sequence or in the first time i watched the movie um I was just like, you know, first off, I was like a bit caught off guard by the fact they just ran over Michael Myers in the middle of the street. And I was just like, what was that? And then like, the, you know, the doc, it, it's a bit of a strange sequence. So like, I, I, qu- I wasn't quite reading into it. And I was just like, why is the doctor wearing Michael Myers mask? I don't quite understand what's going on here. And then he's saving Michael Myers. Um, but as I've watched it more, and I've sort of read into that sequence a little bit more and tried to understand why I don't like it, it, mm-hmm. it sort of hit me that like, you know, similar to the fact that like, um, Loomis's character observed Michael and sort of saw him as this being as this presence um, and sort of saw that evolution of child Michael to killer Michael what this guy is seeing and like his entire life is dedicated to is like why is this person this way Mm -hmm. and and, like the sort of psychology behind that like if you're digging into that to a certain degree like if your whole entire life is dedicated to researching this maniac I, I feel like you go a little bit insane like we talk you know with the Joker and whatnot like you know when when you study 
craziness, you kind of go crazy yourself. Um, True. Yeah. And I've, Good point. I've sort of bought into that a little bit, mm -hmm. but also like his entire life is dedicated to this thing. So like, even if it's not so much like he needs Michael to live just to have Michael to live, like his, what he's trying to do is like further his study and understand the psychology of Michael so he can sort of give meaning to his own life and, and that's in the most I, unethical way possible exactly exactly <laughs> like him putting on the mask michael myers mask is literally him trying to get in the headspace like literally getting in the headspace of michael myers and like i, I that really clicked for me on this watch and i was like i'm not 100 percent sold on it but i'm like 80 percent there so like it worked much much better for me on this go yeah so um i want to just talk about real quick about the effectiveness of this movie and then we'll ask you a question okay um the first time i went to, into this movie like i heard like a, there was a good like like audible reaction from the audience I was with like people were like oh my god like this this scene like the scene where like she's in the classroom and she sees Laurie Strode sitting outside the window in the same scene like it's similar to what happened in the first movie yeah um like the scenes were like the one the the, the, the one takes and all that mm -hmm. the one the scene that got the biggest reaction out of people was when Laurie gets pushed out the window or the balcony yeah and her body's just laying there like it was for Michael in the in the, in the first movie uh -huh. and then like it just disappears and people are like yes yeah. fuck yes uh -huh. and like the fact that you know they made Michael as formidable and as intimidating as he was. Mm. You know, I remember like a couple of days after I saw the movie the first time, I woke up one night to go pee and I I swear to God, I saw like the silhouette of Michael Myers in the corner of my bedroom. Right. And that's like, that's something actually that worked well for me the first time, but I think also uh, in the original film, sorry, and also worked well for me on this one is just like, it's that sort of, the use of shadows, the use of darkness in both of these movies. And that that's, I think, a testament to the direction, but also the cinematography. Like the cinematography in this movie, first off, is, is beautiful. Like just some some of the shots, like the silhouette shots that you're talking about of Michael Myers, where he's just like standing in a doorway and he's sort of backlit by the moon from the window or whatnot. Like, like he's out of focus in the background. You see him so there. so good. Yeah. It's so, yeah. so good. But like, it, it just, it kind of puts, and like the sort of realistic aspect of this guy who could literally just, go anywhere like in real life we could see this happening like this guy could just be at anybody's house stalking them getting into their home um and, and killing them like it, it's a real sort of fear that i think a lot of people have because it's just so close to home i think and say so my next question i'm gonna build up to it there's a scene where like essentially after she gets out of the balcony she like she walks away we don't know where she is mm -hmm. um michael goes downstairs he, he flips like that kitchen countertop over mm -hmm. to get to um allison and her mother mm -hmm. and their mother's like mom i'm sorry i can't do it i'm sorry uh, I, uh, uh. she's like, like hysterical essentially she's like but then like michael like hears this and she, she, she's she's playing him essentially and then he walks over to like the the the, the, the beginning entrance. of the stairwell, the entrance of the little the little bunker, whatever it is. Yeah. And he's he's like, gotcha. She shoots him, mm -hmm. and then you see like Lori's face just come out of the darkness. He's like, Happy Halloween, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and she starts just like fucking stabbing him. Mm -hmm. That was a great reaction. But then it builds up to like the fact that you know Allison gets the knife, mm -hmm. cuts his hand away from her mother so she can escape, and then they do like the little trap thing, and he's he's essentially killed so he mm -hmm. like he burns up in a furnace like he's, he's, he's essentially like a like a roasted chicken mm -hmm. and they escape in a, in a truck very conveniently i'm not going to say anything about that mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but i want to ask you where do you think they go from here because they're making two more movies sure. are they going to go make him like a like a legitimate presence like a supernatural aspect or do, do like a little cop out like he goes into like a like a locker that's inside the bunker and he like escapes from the fires that in that way so first off let me touch on 
the Judy Greer, because Judy Greer is so good as Karen, the daughter in this movie also, like, the you know, the three generations of the Strode family and, like, the middle generation shouldn't go ignored because, like, they have that sort of setup of, like, you know, this daughter of Laurie Strode was, like, trained as this sort of weaponized killer and then, you know, you see her living a normal life and then you get that moment where, like, she's, like, she gets to manipulate Michael Myers <laughs> and has her own sort of awesome moment. I love, I love that scene. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but we actually know how they're going to, or we at least... We like, know? You know, yeah, remember, um, it was a while back, it was months ago, we got like a sort of preview clip of Halloween Kills, um, mm-hmm. and there's that scene where they're driving away, and the fire trucks are driving towards the house. Right, right, and, right, and, and like, okay. And they're all screaming, like, let it burn, let it burn, but these fire trucks are driving towards the house, so I assume... I completely forgot about that, yeah, good pull. Yeah, yeah. so I assume that that's what's going to happen, I, I hope they don't go the route of like... The, supernatural they, yeah i hope it's not supernatural and i hope it's like these people go into the house they start fire like hosing down the fires and then this hand just comes down and starts like wrecking the fire like you open the movie with that sort of like brutal kill sequence i think that would kills the entire fire brigade yeah like the people that saved his life he's just wrecking so, okay them. okay so then let me ask you this and where do they go from here so like they're leaving Hannafield. they don't have the fortress mm-hmm. the dad's dead it's just the three of them mm-hmm. how would you theorize how they pan out the next movie. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, like, in one sense, I kind of, you know, you don't really know where they're going to go with this thing, right? Like, and that's exciting. Like, you know, we talk about the fact that, like, if you can't predict where the next chapter is going to go, like, yeah. it just opens all these possibilities. Right. Um, I assume that it's going to be similar to the way that most other Halloween movies is going to, you know, it's going to take the span over the course of a day, more or less. All these other Halloween movies have almost- In a house? Yeah, no, not necessarily just in one house, mm-hmm. but like in the span of like, most of these movies take place in the span of just Halloween day. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, you know, it's interesting. I, I assume that this is gonna just be a continuation in that same night. Like, you know, mm. Myers gets out. Like I would like that. Or maybe even like, you know, just into the, but like the next 24 hours, I would say. Like that's your sort of time span. Um, that's how I like, my Halloween movies because they're very contained and like you know if the fire if the firefighters are going to come and they're going to save the house um, Michael Myers is going to escape from there and like how long is he going to be able to hide before like you know people will find him people are looking for him right and like, he's heavily injured he has internal damage he got mm-hmm. shot in the shoulder he even mm-hmm. burnt well, to a crisp <laughs> and we can sort of allude to that 30 second clip that we got today like there's a scene where he reaches down to pick up the mask in that sort of 30 second teaser and mm-hmm. you can still see like the blood on his hands and like you know obviously he got his finger shot off by by Lori in this most recent halloween so right. like it seems like it's pretty close, but like, I don't know. Do you prefer it to go farther out in time or do you want it to stay close to the timeline? Well, yeah, I think I prefer your route because I can't think of how they could pick up the story with an extended timeline. Like, do they find a new bunker? Um, how does Michael find them? Does he yeah. get captured again? Like, yeah. there's a lot of like- It would be repetitive. It would be a lot of gray areas. Yeah, it'd be repetitive as well. I would, I'd mm-hmm. prefer it the way you said it, where it's like, it just, it just picks up where it left off. Mm-hmm. It would like, it would just make everything feel more natural and organic if it's just like, now they're being hunted again by Michael Myers. Like they, they were sort of hunting Michael Myers because they trapped him in the house and now he's escaped from the house and there's no real safe zone, right? So like, he's, yeah. he's the hunter again now. Yeah, I'm really, really curious as to how they bounce off the first one because the first one's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't, does he steal a fire truck? <laughs> <laughs> does he drive the fire truck? now like after learning how to drive like a regular he's, car he's, he's wearing like a like a a fire suit and then he's I know, like, right? 
He was getting in costume essentially. He uses like the fire hose as like a weapon now instead of like the knife. Uh, speaking of the, I love like you know going back to that scene, the shape hunts Allison scene. Like I love that moment where he's walking towards like where he's walking towards the friend, um, the one that he kills, and like you get that sort of close up of him like flipping the knife upside down, and you're like, okay, now this is like because like before he was just sort of like stalking around the town, like holding the knife, like awkwardly walking around stabbing people, but like when he flips the knife upside down and he's holding it like the sort of classic michael myers like mm-hmm. it, it, you just get it, like for me personally like uh uh a switch sort of flipped in my head where it's like okay now he means business and like that i think is one of the more brutal kills in the movie where he hangs the guy on the fence and whatnot. Yeah, he impales him with yeah. his, in, his, in his jaw yeah yeah what, and is, like, what is with him in jaws i know right and like <laughs> and like that that was a sort of like that was like you know it was michael sort of growing back into his own sort of form like you know he had the hand kill with the podcasters then he mm-hmm. got the knife and then he killed a few people with the knife and now it's like now he means business when he flips it upside down he knows that Lori or Lori's family is near and it was like I remember seeing that scene in the trailers as well, and I was just like, "Okay, this these people know what they're doing with this movie." Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. What? No, nah, this doesn't sound right. Okay, so how, he kills five people in the first. I'm looking at his kill count. He kills yes. five people in the first movie, mm-hmm. and I was counting. I think the lady who got their who got her throat like impaled with a knife, mm-hmm. like he got he got she got stabbed her like through the through the throat mm-hmm. was like around twelve. Oh, so wow. because between because they're this well, thing he kills like con- the father and the son. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is there? There's the police officer that shows up there. I think that he kills as well. So after that, it's it's the, it's, a, it's the two TD. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about the little kid. He was he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Julian, in this movie. Julian, Julian, so yeah. What do you what do you but, say? I'm just sitting here clipping my nasty ass toenails or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He says, and so he kills those two teenagers. Um, I already, I think I counted those. Or no, okay. I didn't. That was after. So it's 14 you're, there. So you're talking about the total kill count through the entire movie. Because right? this thing is saying 121, but that's counting all 10 movies. Yeah, that's too many. I think, well, they, yeah, if you include all the other movies, but that's because he kills, yeah, about like five to 10 people in each movie. I would say 20 people. In this movie? Or like in total. Like 50, I would say 15 is a good amount for this movie because he kills. Yeah. So, so it's like the, the father, son, mm-hmm. the cop. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills like the two people at the gas station. That's mm-hmm. five. Mm-hmm. The two podcasters, that's seven. Mm-hmm. The two people at the houses, that's nine. Mm-hmm. Um, the two teenagers, that's 11. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills like the other teenager kid, the, the, the friend. The friend is twelve. The dad is thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, right around that, yeah. So fifteen. About. Uh, I feel like about. I'm. I feel like I'm missing a couple. No, th- th- but that's close enough. I, so I then, so then let me ask: Do you want him to up? Like he wanted to be as bloody as like he wanted to kill like fucking fifty people in one place. Well, I don't want to see him like go like John Wick. I, like, I, I, I <laughs> With the knife, that. he goes like knife foo. Yeah, right. But like, I, I definitely want to see it like take a step up in terms of brutalness right um, and that's coming from somebody who doesn't love gore but i think the gore was executed well in the first one so if they executed in a similar because it was in doses yeah exactly exactly um and, and the guy was, with the jaw like the guy's jaw was like ripped open mm-hmm. in half it was like a couple seconds on screen. but it, yeah exactly exactly it was like it was perfect amount of screen time and also like those sequences are just so well executed in terms of the way they're directed and like i guess like i said the score oh i forgot about the doctor who gets his head squished Oh yeah, he steps. He steps on his face, basically. Yeah, that like a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, do you think that was like an? Because there's a lot of homages to pumpkins, and obviously it's a Halloween movie. Do you think that's kind of what they were going? Oh, for? the fucking scene with the two cops where he like puts the light, the light, the light up his that, up his neck. That's another thing I love about Michael Myers is like you know, and the, you get this sense. From he has the a sense movie. of humor. He has a sense of humor, and like <laughs> he kind of like observes all his kills, like it's an art piece, like it's his sort of like it's his neck. Like he's Hannibal. Master. Like in that sequence that you're talking about when he when he in the first one where he pins the guy on, on the cabinet, um, mm-hmm. and he just sort 
sort of like tilts his head to the side like, like a painting of, yeah like exactly he, exactly exactly like i kind of i kind of like that about because he doesn't he obviously doesn't say anything he doesn't move fast he just kind of like lurks around but like he has this sort of s- style to him which is like weird another question real quick yeah. do you want him to speak at some point no no definitely not no definitely, definitely not because no. we haven't seen his face we saw his face in like a brief second in the first one mm-hmm. we saw like half of his face in this first and in this next installment mm-hmm. and like there was a teaser like it's like the, the, throughout the entire franchise like he doesn't talk at all he's like what did you say say something say something mm-hmm. and that's what like what the doctor wanted to say in the, in the car it was like between the doctor allison and michael yeah, yeah. He's like yeah he said one word to me mm-hmm. and he's like he's like what is it i'll let you out what is it and then yeah. like he the whole shit goes down yeah, so there's like that. a tease always with that one word he, I don't might, want he might say i don't want that i don't do you I'd be curious to see what he says, but I feel like it would make him less intimidating. It would exactly. It would take away from the intimidation factor of him. Uh-huh. Like, the fact that he's just a sort of like, unless he just says something like death or yeah, kill. I don't know. Like even then, like it's gonna sound like you know, it's, corny. It's, not, it's not gonna sound cool like when Batman's in vengeance. Like it's it's not gonna sound. It's not gonna work like that way. I don't think. Because like, what do you think his first words would be? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, what? Like, I, I don't. Because even... the doctor theorized it was the it was the sister's name. Yeah, and like you know, that's there's this you know there's a sister's name. There's Judith, which is the mother's name. Um, there's it could be Lori. There and there's like a little bit of like sort of homage and whatnot to that, like in the sort of movies that got retconned in the middle. But mm-hmm. like, I'm glad that they sort of ditched the whole like familial connection and whatnot. Like this. Yeah, movie sort I of... would. I would hate that. This I would. Movie... This movie sort of like takes shots at those connections. Like, there's a scene when the friends are walking to school oh, yeah. at the beginning, yeah. and they're like, "I heard it was his sister," and they were like, "No, they like shoot that. They shoot that down completely." Like, I li- I like the fact that they're like, yeah, "Just no. let it be." Yeah, exactly. It, it just works better when it's just like this guy is just this crazy killer. Like that, it just works well that way. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't, know. I don't have any other thoughts. I think. You yeah, know, I I think we've covered all the ba- covered all the bases. I don't. I don't either. Do you have like a favorite scene or shot from this one in particular? Is it that Shape Hunt Allison scene? Um, I would say the sequence in the house when they're like, she's like looking through each of the rooms is pretty great. Yeah. Um, the scene where she's like, like Happy Halloween, Michael is fucking great. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of homages where she's standing out the window at, at the school looking at Allison. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I get chills like that scene that you talked about earlier where she's like, where he looks down and she's gone. And like, you can also see, you can <laughs> yeah, like, I did too when I first saw it. <laughs> it's like a, it's a slight movement and like Michael's like sort of body, body structure, but like the way he sort of like, he sort of like unhunches his shoulders a little bit. And like, you're, you're like, you understand that he's like, Oh, where did she go? <laughs> like in his own head. Like I, I love the little <laughs> like that too. It, 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 it makes me geek out. Yeah. Just, yeah. You can tell he does have personality to him. He just doesn't, he's just like killing people. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> the fact that this guy who's in a two dollar william shatner mask that's just been like beaten to death is just like you know this for whatever reason he has this sort of quirky personality and like you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it but it is i'm it's maybe it's because he he was like um was it what's the word for it hospitalized since he was a child so he still has that childlike personality yeah, to him that's, that's an interesting point i never thought about that but um I guess you know. I was going to say I'm so glad that they like did justice to the Michael Myers mask because I mean, look, I was like looking at like, the past ones, mm-hmm. and some of the old ones are awful. They're like, bad. They're, they're bad. Like they're bad. Like one of them looked like they were made out of wood. 
I love that shot where he pulls the mask out of the trunk in this one. Yes. And like he yes. shuts the trunk and it's just like the close up of his face. Ugh. That's what I'm saying. Like the cinematography in this thing is so beautiful. One question I just realized at the yeah. scene at the gas station, the podcaster is putting gas into his car. Mm-hmm. He looks over to like this van next to him. It was like a, yeah. like a, like a church van. <laughs> um, and he looks, he sees this lady, but the lady's like signaling him. Yeah. She's like, what look is, that way. Look that way. <laughs> what is that about? I think because Michael walks behind him in that scene. Didn't you notice? Oh shit! You didn't notice? Okay, yeah. So no. there's a, a car pulls up behind, like, uh, uh, like ten feet behind him, and like a guy in a white suit, like a white hospital suit, walks out. It's Michael, and that's that's how you like he goes into the gas station and starts beating up the guy and takes his teeth. Like that that happens all right before then, and I I think that's what she's signaling at. Like, look behind you. Michael Myers is walking right behind you. Like, there's a lot of great you know background sequences. They don't they don't like put overtly out there for you. Like, you got to yeah. be paying attention. I think even, I like that too. Even even in that backyard sequence of the motion light, like the first time the light comes on, you see Michael step out from behind the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. That. It's mm-hmm. so clever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's all I have, and that's all you have, right? Yeah, that's all I have. All right, cool. So that'll bring us to close for this episode. Thanks everyone for joining us. Um, let's Sam let people know where they can find online you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o find me at rod 236 as always please be sure to check out our show notes for resources on black lives matter also be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast share with your friends and family find us on apple spotify anchor and all the other popular platforms that uh we'll be back later on the weekend with a regularly scheduled news episode so come back and join us no nudes sorry sorry (laughs)